Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Okay. Hi. Hi, everybody. How's everybody doing tonight? Pretty good. Everybody's good. Everybody looks pretty relaxed. Yes. Nice to see. Well, we are not guiding a meditation. We are not. We are not. Not today. No, way too much cursing for meditation. That's not what's going to happen We'll try and keep the... This feels like a very zen space. I don't know if I can turn it off. Yeah. Uh, You make a good point. I'll try. I'll do my best. I'll be really appropriate. No, I won't. Okay. Um, well, for those of you who don't know us in this room, um, we are your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. We have a twice-a-week podcast where we talk about women's issues. We talk about feminists you might not be aware of. Um, we talk a lot about a lot of pop culture stuff, movies, TV shows, problematic faves of different people and things like that. We're kind of all over the board, but everything we talk about is through our own personal feminist perspectives. So it's a pretty broad variety of things that we discuss. Absolutely. So today we are going to be talking about women healers, medicine women, and particularly in their relationship with witchcraft and witches. We are in a very witchy time of year, although you would know it. In LA? No. Because it's like 100 degrees outside. Maybe, maybe it's so hot out because the witches are burning it all down. Okay. I mean, setting we, it we, literally we setting it aflame right now. We know that I am team burn it down. I um, was going to tell you this. So we were recording this morning and we were literally talking about just burning it down. And then we're on our way here and there's a fire. And I'm like, Keegan, they took you seriously. They're I, literally I burning it all down. I manifested it, as it were. Yeah, yes. I did. I and manifested it. I put it out into the universe. Now it is happening. Now LA is going to burn to the ground. No, it's not. No, it's I not. I hope not. Yeah, I really do hope not. Um, but the weather did totally mess with my um, my gothy vibes that I was hoping to go for today. I, I, I uh, look pretty gothy. Thank you so much. Uh, but I had a uh, I had a sweater dress picked out for today, months in advance, and um, could not wear it. I chose my outfit yesterday. I'm bitter about it. In case you can't tell. Okay, so um, we're going to get started. I kind of wanted to open the show talking about uh, women healers in ancient history. Because as we move through, you'll start to see uh, the advancement of Western culture and the patriarchy really doing a number on... um, Most definitely. Yeah, because, I mean, women have been healers way back to, like, 3500 BC. Long, long time ago. And a lot of times these women... Um, they just kind of told each other their different practices and things like that. So a lot of the things that they discovered and a lot of their medical practices have kind of been forgotten through the years because it wasn't taken as seriously as when men became physicians and things like that. Right, and what we do have actually um, 
So, okay, so we'll go back just a little bit. So women were pharmacists. They were cultivating herbs and exchanging secrets uh, basically from the beginning of the ancient world. Queen Puabi of Ur was buried with surgical instruments that she used to practice surgery in her life. So actually, in a lot of these ancient societies, women were not only healers and um, basically homeopathic healers, but yeah. also surgeons. Well, and I love that because she was buried with her surgical tools so that when she were to come back into the next life, she would be able to perform surgery or she would be able to perform surgery in the afterlife, which I thought that was kind of cool. They're like, you're good. We're going to give you your tools when you you die. (laughs) Um, When Greek women were taken prisoner after the fall of Corinth in 150 BCE, women with medical knowledge were sold at a higher price (laughs) than women who did not have medical knowledge. Not an ideal situation. No. Uh, However, because of this, they took these women in, they had them tell them their surgical wisdoms, and it was recorded and written down. And so a lot of what was used in the ancient world initially, uh, as far as surgical practices go, came from the knowledge of women. Yeah, there was a... um in Greek mythology, there was a woman named Metrodora who is highly regarded medical writer, and her book on diseases and cures of women is the oldest medical text written by a woman and is still referenced today by many female physicians. Yes, and there was a woman in Italy named Aspasia who described surgical techniques. It was written down into surgical text, and then later on, she also went on to teach male doctors about female body and childbirth. Necessary. Necessary. Very necessary. (laughs) Or you could just let women do it. And as we'll see when we move through this kind of history, a lot of what we have is from Western cultures or um, colonial cultures. And midwives in particular were singled out very often for being witches. Yeah. And um, singled out during the witch trials. Yeah, especially what's interesting about midwives is that they were so highly regarded, like the kings and everybody they had their midwives take care of their families and their children and different things like that and then all of a sudden there was this shift from like loving them and caring for them to really trying to tear them down and pushing them further away right and a lot of that had to do with um political and religious reasons yeah so we'll get into that a little bit. I mean, women were traditionally caretakers in general. So women spent a lot. It makes sense that women would be healers since mm-hmm. they were the ones who were traditionally taking care of their husbands and their children. And they were very often in the kitchen yeah. um, experimenting with herbs and finding. Yeah. I, I remember reading uh, an article somewhere where they were talking about how like the, the women in the kitchen made it their lab. Right. They yeah. Would get women together in, women in like, STEM. Yeah. They mm-hmm. would just kind of try different things together and create this like little mini lab in their kitchen. I think I read that same article, and that article was interesting because it really did focus on the science uh-huh. of, of healing. Yeah. And women as scientists mm-hmm. in this way that like they have been traditionally excluded from yeah. STEM fields, or we consider them to be, you know, that's kind of a minority as women in STEM. Yeah. And, um, this writer was making the argument that women have always been scientists yeah. since the beginning of time, essentially. Yeah. They probably just weren't considered that way at the time because what they were doing was very holistic and natural, and they're talking about plants, and it was still viewed as a very traditionally female Space. Uh, role. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a very domestic role, for yeah. sure. So I read this really awesome journal article. I had to jump through some hoops to get it for free, but I jumped through those hoops and I I did get it. Uh, I had to sign up for a lot of stuff, so I'm probably going to get a lot of emails. (laughs) 
But I read this really awesome journal article. It was called On the Trail of Witches, Wise Women, Midwives, and the European Witch Hunts by Rita Jo Horsley and Richard A. Horsley. And it was fascinating. It was about 28 pages. so It's, it's not that long. I highly recommend um, looking it up and reading through it if you're interested in it. But it did detail generally from a very Western European um, viewpoint, but it did uh, detail the kind of progression of female healers and midwives, cunning women, those kinds of things into uh, the witch trials and the witch hunts, yeah. which it was fascinating. Yeah. Well, it's, I, do you want to talk a little bit about medieval Europe in the Middle Ages, Ms. Yes, Keegan? for sure. All right, so during the Middle Ages, women would study medicine in convents. And there was somebody called Hildegard of Bingen, who was Germany's first female, female physician, and she studied at a convent and wrote research on medicine, botany, and natural history. She dedicated her life to sharing the energy of green, which laid the groundwork for traditional herbal medicine. Her remedies can be found in her book, Liber Simplicis Medicine. Sure, yeah. Yeah, that right? sounds right. Okay, I hate saying anything is in another language. I get very frustrated and cannot do it. Um, and during this time, women work, would work as herbalists, midwives, as we said, surgeons, barber surgeons, which for those of you who don't know what a barber surgeon is, is caring for soldiers during and after battle. They would also work as nurses and traditional empirics, which is the study of human knowledge along with skepticism and rationalism based on a sensory experience. I did not write those words. That is taken from an article. That is not how I speak. It almost kind of sounds like a early psychology kind of thing. It's a very sensory experience, which then made me think of that was the creation of method acting. Okay. <laughs> we made a leap, but we are in LA, so that's fine. Um, so there were these two authors, Barbara Ehrenrich and Deidre English. They were authors of Witches, Midwives, and Nurses, A History of Women Healers. And they had a very early feminist reinterpretation of the witch hunts. And they had a hypothesis that said that women accused in the trials were predominantly the wise women healers and midwives of peasant society, persecuted because they represented a threat to the church's control and competition yeah. of, in the male medical field of the modern period. Right. So we see there is kind of um, a very distinct cutoff point between the ancient world and the early medieval to mid medieval, early modern period in which men kind of want to take over that realm. And yeah. so this hypothesis is stating that a large par uh, part of the witch hunts, a large reason for it, was to allow men to kind of step into that role and yeah. stamp out women in that role. Well, and it's interesting... Which it's, inter it's debated. Yeah, but what's interesting is the church's role because, like, the church is very much a patriarchy and they believe that the the medicine women were doing the devil's work basically and it was and they were being unruly and they were doing things that didn't abide by the bible and that was something that they wanted to pull back it was also interesting to me is how um that shift happened a lot during the time of like slavery sure and how like the native americans and slaves worked together because like i was saying earlier these midwives these root doctors they would call them conjurers because they were like witches um they were at first like the plantation owners would bring them in and they would have them take care of them and care for their families and then after a while because of the church's monitoring they kind of became less uh desired to be in their home they weren't and then they were started to be treated really really badly and that was in... This was in, like, like early Native 
slave time. So you're like early colonial times yes. in, the, in the United States. Thank you. Yes. yes. Oh, okay. We've moved in. We've moved across the pond. We've yeah. moved across the pond I, a little bit. So yeah, it's interesting because Harriet Tubman is said to have used herbal medicine for keeping the escaped slaves healthy in the Underground Railroad. Thank you, Harriet Tubman. And that makes sense. And we're going to talk a little bit about, because a lot of what I have, mostly because it's a lot of what was recorded and written down, um, a lot of what I have is very focused uh, on Western white cultures in general, but we will get into kind of Native American healers mm -hmm. and uh, what that meant spiritually in the United States as well Yeah, as we move forward through this. So... Um, in 1487, there were two inquisitors of Pope Innocent the, what is that, five, six, seven, eight, eight. Pope Innocent the eight. Uh, and they were both professors of sacred theology in Germany, and they published the Malus Maleficarum. Oh, yes. Which is very famously uh, this witch text, which was yes. the Hammer of the Witches. And... It, it did unleash this terror throughout Europe. I feel like so much of what we have as an understanding for the witch trials focuses mainly around like Salem yeah. and kind of Puritan, uh, United States-centered witch exactly. hunts. But really, the majority of the witch hunts took place in Europe. Yeah. And they say that up to how many? Well, I know that Germany was, like, incredibly affected by it. But what I feel is interesting about the Malleus Maleficarum is that that was the first time that they began to associate witchcraft with being a woman. There's a quote in there saying, What else is woman but a foe to friendship? They are evil, lecherous, vain, and lustful. All witches come from carnal lust, which is in women insatiable. Can't be tamed. <laughs> so much lust. Can't be tamed. Yes. Um, so while the witch hunt involved a number of factors, a common accusation against them was possessing medical and obstetrical skills. And the authors of the Malus Maleficarum also singled out witch midwives for their strongest condemnation. They said, we must add that in all these matters, witch midwives cause yet greater injuries as penitent witches have often told us and to others saying, no one does more harm to the Catholic faith than midwives for when they do not kill children then as if for some other purpose they take them out of the room and raise them up to the air as an offering wait when they're not killing children right so mid so witch midwives right so they're not saying all midwives okay. but the witch midwives you'll know because all the children die or yeah. they take them and they offer them up to satan clearly right as you would as you would as yeah. you do and throughout European history, there has been a distinction made between sorcery and witchcraft. Uh -huh. So to practice witchcraft, you had to be biologically different. So you were either born into a family of witches, for instance. Sabrina um, the Teenage Sabrina, Witch. Sabrina the Teenage Witch style witch, uh, or you inherited the traits through occult practices, usually uh, having sex with the devil, typically. that, that That's mean. what you did. Um, Sorcery, however, was named less frequently in court documents as something that would have uh, that would cause you to be hanged as a witch. Why is that? Or burned as a witch? I I, I don't know, but sorcery was more the was more of a practice than a way of being. And many women who considered themselves healers actually fall in that category, right? As like a sorceress, right. Rather than an actual witch. witch. Yeah. They Interesting. Weren't, they weren't born into it, and they didn't fuck the devil. So they're. Got it. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. Would 
would these people who they were being called, that would call them witches, did they identify themselves as being witches? That's a good question. Uh, well, you know, actually, when I was reading that journal article, they did say that there were a, a good number of, of witches throughout the, or witches in quotes, yeah. uh, throughout this period who did self-identify that way, but you have to take into account the extreme circumstances. Yes, the dangers that torture. come along with it. Yeah, <laughs> that was that, were, death. that was probably going on in order yeah. to get them to admit to being witches. Jeez. Yeah, it's interesting because like I mentioned earlier that there are towns in, like Germany really got it bad with these witch trials in Europe and there is a religious professor, Barbara McGraw, who says that there were towns in Germany where there were no women left. It was just like, you're a woman, you're a witch. That seems counterintuitive. It, it really, really does. The population would then end as we know it. So in European towns uh, and villages, the people consulted experts not only in m maleficent magic, uh, but also not my word. Maleficent? Uh, magic, yeah, but also in helpful magic. And they were known as diviners, healers, cunning folk, wizards, white witches, and wise women and men. And they played a really important role in medieval society because typically in poorer communities and villages, people could not afford to go see a physician or any yeah. other kind of medical professional. Uh, they were usually really far away from any kind of town. There would be maybe one physician every however many miles. Right. And, and so, if you're in a small town, the likelihood of somebody being a physician, I feel, would be less likely. And it would, that's it these, would be less likely. Yeah, and that's where these women's roles became very, very important. Right. And again, it was usually passed down through families, mm -hmm. so it would be, you know, uh, for ages the cunning women were this family yeah. and you know knew exactly where to go and that was very okay for a very long time yeah. until the witch hunts began mm -hmm. throughout Europe. Um, okay so many of those accused in the witch trials were elderly women as we said and we actually just did an episode today we recorded an episode on witches in pop culture mm -hmm. and I feel like the elderly are vastly underrepresented oh, yes. in our pop culture uh, because typically elderly women were the ones who were targeted the most. Even if there were young women who were healers, um, elderly women were most often targeted and most often killed yeah. during the witch hunts. And they say that very often this was because elderly women would more often admit to being sorceresses yeah. because they held such little power in society. Mm -hmm. So there was one story that I read of there where there was an elderly woman who... Um, she, what, there was a man who came out when she was walking home alone and he threatened to rape her. And she said she was a sorceress and that if he did, she would put a curse on him. Perfect. And he did not rape her. So it, it, it gave it these people who didn't have, these people who were kind of marginalized on the fringes of society, it yeah. gave them a little bit of power. Yeah, interesting. And then that, in turn, when you have power, creates something dangerous. Well, when you're a lady with power. Yes. Yes. I do, I, you know, when I do think of, like, witches in pop culture who are older, I think of, like, the witch from Snow White, when she turns from being, like, the beautiful evil queen into, like, the thing that haunted my nightmares till I was, like, in high school. Or, like, what's the, what's the witch, the Mim, that... 
Oh, oh, Mad Madam Mim. Madam Mim, thank yeah. you. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I think about that kind of portrayal, or like a Hansel and Gretel witch, where it's the old lady that lures you into a the crone. house. Yes, it's yeah. like very scary and very very dark and like not to be trusted. Where there are also these like that flip side of like these very glamorous witches and like. Um, that would lure you more, you know, sexually because, like, historically, right. like, witches were, you know, they would dance around naked and they would have, like, orgies with the devil and they would There's be very, There's absolutely a, a fear of female sexuality. Definitely. In, um, in these witch trials. And the elderly are inherently not sexual to most people. <laughs> like... Elderly women, Elderly women, yeah. yeah. So I feel like that would play a role somewhere in your psyche when well, you're dealing it is with the, an elderly sorceress. It is the evil queen, right? It is yeah. the evil queen yeah. from Snow White, where it's like you're either this kind of beautiful, seductive yeah. woman, or you are this the old, old crone. Yeah. yeah. Creepy, wart-filled old hag. Yes. Yeah, precisely. I got it. <clears throat> Do you have anything else you want to cover for uh, medieval times? Oh, man. I'm all over the place right now. Nope. I'm good. Okay. Let's move <laughs> on to um, Native American healers and medicine. Yes. Yeah, so when the Europeans first settled in the Americas, they relied on the wisdom of the Native people. And um, as we all learned part of this in school, not all of it, you know, they were like, here's how you plant, like, here's the kind of plants we have. Here's how you do this and that. And, like, there was a time of... Harmony? Yes, no, maybe so. I don't know. There was a time of at least where they were taking advantage of the knowledge that the Native Americans had in order to survive. While at the same time giving them diseases that they could not heal from. Yes, exactly. So, uh, I mean, it's true. So the healing traditions of Native Americans go back for thousands of years, and there are more than 2,000 tribes of indigenous people in North America. And so the healing practices they varied really widely from tribe to tribe, but very often they uh, included herbal remedies. Almost always they included herbal remedies, typically of things that grew naturally. On occasion, it would require um, someone from a particular tribe to travel to another tribe to procure something that grew locally uh, in order to create uh, these herbal remedies. However, what we see a lot of with Native American healers that is slightly different than what we see in Western European healers is that they incorporate spirituality in a way that a lot of European healers didn't do. It was just as important to have the spiritual element Uh and um, the medicine men and women who we call shamans, but they did not call themselves that, Uh, but the medicine men and women, people who held that position within certain tribes, it was just as important to heal spiritually and they acted not only as doctors and physicians, but also as priests and priestesses. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when American Americans, wow, um, yikes. She just said that. When guys. Europeans came to America, uh, they were impressed at how healthy the Native Americans were. They were healthy and clean. Yeah. That was, those were the two takeaways. <laughs> they were very healthy and um, very clean. And they were so healthy because they used so many herbal remedies that, again, had been passed down orally from generation to generation. Right, yeah, and it's interesting is that, you know, they, everything, all the knowledge that even the tribes of today have are passed down all pretty much orally. I'm sure today a lot of stuff is written down, but like all of that is passed down from that time. Well, even even now it's mostly told um, orally, and the... 
we're saying orally a lot and the, my ins I'm inside I'm like uh, but orally <laughs> but uh, <laughs> there there were certain tribes that did write things down the Cherokee uh, had a written language yeah. where they wrote things down but a lot of tribes did not which was a problem because when well not a problem kind of a problem when we came in mm-hmm. when white European settlers came in and brought diseases that they did not have an immune system to deal with. It wiped out large swaths of Native American yeah. populations, and with it, a lot of those traditions um, were, were lost were as well. Were lost away, yeah. because yeah, whole families were lost, and so a lot of those traditions were also lost. Yeah, so I really enjoyed reading about the collaboration that the Native Americans would have with the African slaves that were brought over. They would often collaborate because the slaves that came from Africa would have this knowledge of uh, where they were from, and the Native Americans had the knowledge of where they were now living, and they were able to work together, uh, learn about different plants, different forms of healing, and they were able to kind of like help educate even more because of that collaboration that they mm-hmm. had, which I thought was really wonderful. Yeah. And that's the same way, you know, slaves were, were forbidden to read and write, so everything was passed down orally for them as well. Yeah. Orally. <laughs> orally. So, be- beginning in 1882, the federal government, yes, so, so <laughs> here we go, here we go. Here um, we go. Burn the, it all down. Burn it down. The federal government began to work towards banning Native American religious rights, which had an impact, of course, on their medical practices. The U.S. Inten- uh, Interior Secretary, Henry M. Teller, ordered an end to, quote, not my words, all heathenish dances and ceremonies on reservations due to their great hindrance to civilization. That's so fun. Which, first of all, it's none of your business. It's not not a hindrance to civilization. Because it's none of your business. Maybe stay out of it. Um, But these attempts to suppress the traditions of Native Americans eventually led to the massacre at Wounded Knee uh, on December 29th, 1890, when the government attempted to stop the practice of a ghost dance. And... um, 150 Native American men, women, and children were killed at the Battle of Wounded Knee. And because of this, again, once again, because of this, a lot of these traditions and practices were lost because anytime there was a huge swath of the population that was all knocked out at once, uh, we lost some very important knowledge and information. Exactly, so. exactly. And those charges of, uh, they, they did bring charges against killing innocents, but of course they were exonerated. Uh-huh. Uh, the federal government was exonerated. And two years later, further measures were taken to suppress Native religions when the Indian Affairs Commissioner, Thomas J. Morgan, offered uh, ordered penalties of up to six months in prison for those who repeatedly practiced in religious dances or acted as medicine. Men. And this went on, this ban against Native American spiritual rituals continued to be in place until 1978. Well, yeah, and I feel like the prejudice is very much still there now. I feel like even if it ended in the 70s, I feel like there is still like a misunderstanding of the differences in the way that 
this society believes in things and the way that the Native American society expresses their beliefs. And I mean, a lot of scholars believe that when like the Indo-Europeans came westward, they brought their like male gods of war because before this, we have all of these Greek goddesses and these medicine women and these women that are so highly regarded. And when the Europeans came over, they brought along like that machismo, you know, and the, their male gods and their Christianity and their Puritan beliefs and things like that, which really, really changed the way that the Native Americans were able to live their lives. Yeah, absolutely. So because of all of this, quite understandably, a lot of Native American tribes and people will not share their healing practices uh, or spiritual practices outside of their tribes. I don't blame them. uh, Because they feel it will lose power if they share it, uh, particularly with white people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I wouldn't do it either. And I mean, I think that kind of helps remain, like it keeps the sanctity of the practices as well, where it's like, it's it's theirs. And if they want it to just be theirs, that's fine. And we have learned so much from them. But like, if you have a history of being persecuted for your beliefs and expressing your beliefs... Yeah, Even we have now, a really bad habit. Continue in, that. We have a really bad habit in this uh, country of taking and taking and taking from oppressed minority groups and not giving anything back of yeah. any substance. Yeah, exactly, so. exactly. Well, Keegan, earlier today when we were recording, you brought up a really good topic. That's something that I didn't, you know, I knew about, but didn't really have as much of an understanding on. And you were talking about the role of minorities in uh, TV and films when it comes to witches and the roles of minorities when it came to things like the Salem witch trials and things like that. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. I like what you had to say. Yeah. So when we were talking about um, pop culture witches, so I feel like every girl, especially, uh, especially every girl who grew up in the 90s, whenever witch culture had a bit of a revival, um, we connected to that. Yeah. We linked on to that. It was kind of tied into girl power feminism that was yeah. happening in, in the 90s as well. And um, as somebody who did link on to that, it was very clear to me as well that this was a very white thing. Yeah. There, were not, there was not a lot of representation of women of color in um, witch culture, yeah. <laughs> uh, TV pop culture at the time. And there was also not a lot of representation of poor people or poor women or older women unless it was very negative representation and um that was so historically inaccurate uh there have been so many what we would consider to be witch practices uh that originated out of minority groups yeah uh particularly my family's from louisiana there's so many creole practices uh that i feel like a lot of white cultures especially pop cultures borrowed from yeah for movies and tv shows and greatly stereotyped as well when in reality like when these witch hunts were going on having a different color skin or having a mole or a wart or anything like that would then you were far more likely to be targeted yeah initially a sign of being a witch yes you were more likely to be targeted i mean even if you look at the salem witch trials the very first person to be taken in was tichuba yeah the slave it's debatable whether she was uh Black or Central American, but yeah. um, Tichuba was the first person to be taken in during the Salem witch trials, and we very often forget or don't give enough attention to 
these women or these people who were persecuted. Yeah, the, the history of it all. And I think that, I mean, like all history, a lot of it is painted with a big white paintbrush, you know, and a lot of it is painted with that very European-centric um, knowledge where we don't remember what, you know, like the minorities, I feel like when I learned about it, didn't have a place in the witch trials when I learned about them. That wasn't a conversation that right. I Right, and, and actually one of the things that instigated the Salem witch, witch trials um, was the baking of the witch cake yeah which is a very kind of witchy practice it takes place in a kitchen it has a lot of parallels to um healers essentially yeah. uh, and the baking of the witch cake was they were trying to determine if these girls were witches yeah so they got their urine baked it into a cake fed it to the dog to see if the dog would display uh witch like symptoms and it is baking that cake that got Tichuba um arrested and as far as I know that came from her husband John Indian who was also a slave and it was a practice that they brought with them from um I think they were from Barbados told on her no her um mistress asked her to make this cake got it got it got it okay 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 uh, yeah, so I found it interesting that the way that witches, they were like, well, who who is a witch? How can you tell who a witch is? They have promiscuous sex. They dance naked. They had gluttonous feasts, alleg- uh, allegedly mm-hmm. on the flesh of human infants, and sure, had sure. orgies with the devil. Yeah. And I said, sounds like a party. I mean, the, the flesh of the infants. Minus the flesh I could of give the or infants. Take. You know, yeah. Maybe not. Maybe. For me. I mean, maybe? No. No. <laughs> definitely not. That, gosh, that's going to open like a whole like abortion conversation that we like don't need to have with anybody on yeah, our, our social our media. Our mentions are going to get sliced after this <laughs> exactly. for sure. Exactly. Oh, man. Yeah, other than that, I think it sounds like a great time. They sound like fun people to be around. Yeah, I mean, and that was a conversation we had uh, earlier today as well when we were talking about the movie The Witch, uh, which, if you guys have never seen it, it came out in, like, 2016. It was a really good movie. Uh, But at the end, spoiler, she does end up dancing naked in the moonlight, and you're supposed to see it as this very, like, dark... You're supposed to see it in two ways. It's very dark. um, It's a very dark film. However, it is a representation of her freedom. Yeah. Which is very powerful and very feminist within itself. It yeah. Definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. I just remember watching The Crucible, and that's the opening scene where they're all dancing around naked in the bonfire. Listen, and the girls just see let it. ladies have fun. Just let us have fun. If you just let us have fun, this stuff wouldn't have happened. Skinny dipping is one of my favorite pastimes. It's a good time. It's a very good time. Um, should we? Do you want to talk a little bit about modern herbalism? Yeah, well, go for it. I don't have any notes on that. So. I've, got, I've got just a little bit. Um, well, I have a little bit about... Uh, Wiccan religion as well. So in 1921, Margaret Murray wrote a book called The Witch Cult in Western Europe, where she spoke of witchcraft in the form of a religious movement, which then turned into Wicca, which means craft of the wise, which circles back to ancient practices that use herbs and natural elements to promote healing, harmony, love, and wisdom. And I believe that a lot, like Wiccan and a lot of other... um, religions that are based around something to do with witches or like Satanists, things like that. It's seen as a very, very dark and dangerous thing, but these are really our modern day witches and Wiccans, their motto is to harm no one. Yet I believe that people are very, very scared of them. We had a friend who was Wiccan. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you know yes. what I'm talking about? Okay. I do. And I just remember like guys thinking she was like really hot 
and then talking to her and then finding out she was Wiccan and being like, okay, you're going to pass a spell on me. Never mind. Like, let me like slowly back out of this situation. But like really the things that she had to say, I became very close with her at one point and, um, you lived with her at one point. I lived with her and it was a horrible experience, but before we lived but together, it was great. Outside of that. Well, just fast forward. Um, but I, it was really interesting for me to hear her talk about it with such passion, being someone who grew up and grew up in a very Christian religious family, kind of finding this on her own and really having the Wiccan religion help her find her roots. And it's a very natural, loving community. And literally everything that's in this store right now would probably tie into it in some way. The gems, the flowers, the community, the different things like that, which is what it really is. And I believe that even today there are people who look at people who are Satanists and involved in the Wiccan religion and they're seen as being very scary and dangerous when that's really not the case. Yeah, I think when you're looking at anything, I came from a very Christian background, and I think if you're looking at anything from that kind of patriarchal Christian viewpoint, anything like that, anything of nature, which is yeah. kind of it kind of is what our point is exactly. today. Exactly. Like, because Wiccan the Wiccan religion is not evil. It has nothing to do no. with the devil. It's far more centered on nature. Yeah. Um, and that kind of like very female centric energy. Yeah. And that was seen as bad and yeah. dangerous where I come from as yeah. well. So it, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, and I, I believe too, it's a, it's a religion of a lot of females as well, which I right. think it's is a very, a very feminine different... energy, which is another thing that we didn't even touch on, which is that Anything that brings that many women together is a threat to the patriarchy Stop and very it. scary. Gotta cut that shit out. Yes. All right. So the World Health Organization estimates that 80% of the population in uh, Asian and African countries use herbal medicine for some aspect of primary health care. Uh, this could be because pharmaceuticals are so expensive in most parts of the world. So again, these herbalist practices really are beneficial to people who are... Uh, in the lower class who are more poor. Um, the World Health Organization says that approximately 25% of modern drugs in the United States have been derived from plants. Uh, I believe I saw that like Advil or something like that was originally derived right, from Right, and when I was doing my reading on um, Native American healers, a lot of the pharmaceuticals that we use today, in fact, I think they gave an actual number, and it's a, a fairly high number. A lot yeah. of the pharmaceuticals that we use today um, were derived originally from... I have a number. Do you want oh, it? Yes. Okay. Please. That number you were looking for is 7,000. 7,000 medical compounds in modern pharmaceuticals are derived from plants. So the use of herbal remedies and are... And also derived specifically from Native American... They like things that they introduced in combinations of herbal herbs that they've introduced. You are correct. You are correct. Oh, are we almost out of time? We are almost out of time. Okay, perfect. I only have like one more thing, and then we'll we'll wrap this baby up. So the use of herbal remedies are prevalent in patients with chronic diseases such as cancer, diabetes, asthma, end-stage kidney disease. And gender, age, ethnicity, education, and social class all go into consideration with the association of herbal remedies. And that's interesting to me because I feel like the, the people of like living in more poor communities have been using these remedies forever. And it's interesting now that, you know, I think of like Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop but they almost like exploit this like herbal remedy right. kind of well, thing to make a shit ton of money. Something that's kind of interesting is I was listening to an episode of Behind the Bastards, which is a podcast that I listen to, and they were talking about uh, Samuel Hahnemann, who 
is considered to be the inventor of homeopathy. Oh, and he do was tell. born in 1755. Oh, most of these women we're talking about who have been doing basically homeopathic remedies since the beginning of time, yeah, um, were not given that credit or that title. It was given to this man who was born in 1755, and after that is really when homeopathy as a trend really started taking off. Yeah, and it has been exploited. Yeah, um, it absolutely has been exploited, and it has. Um, like anything else, it has been appropriated by people of means. Yeah. And now you can buy like a $2,000 vagina egg if you want that. A so. vagina egg? Have you not seen those? No. They're like crystals. They're like, like little oh, eggs yeah, yeah, yeah. you put in. But why? I don't know why. How do you get it out? I don't know. Is it like a Kegel exercise I think thing? so. I think you could probably just push it up. I would be way too scared to do that. That sounds like birth in a I little tiny baby. I do not want to get it stuck in there. Ugh. That's true. Oh, on boy. that note. On that, yeah, that's a good place to end it, right? Vagina crystals or vagina <laughs> eggs. There you go. You can buy them right out there tonight at a low price of $200. Uh, well, you guys, thank you so much for listening. I'll give you a little bit of information about where you can find us and contact us. We are all about community on the show. That was the whole point of starting this. We started the show when Donald Trump became president and we were feeling very angry and Keegan and I have always had each other to speak to about a lot of these things and uh, relied on each other. And we wanted to create a, a broader community of people to not only be angry and be scared and have these conversations, but also feel a lot of love and support. So we get a lot of very, very, very wonderful, wonderful listeners who email us. Our email is neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. We also have quite the Instagram. And you can follow us there at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Send us a direct message. We're always open to hearing your ideas for topics, things you want to hear us talk about, things that you like, things that maybe we did wrong because we are not perfect and this is a learning process for us too. Yeah, we're not a history podcast. No. Uh, neither one of us are historians. So. No, and we're not a like a gender studies like majors or anything like that. This is just a topic that we love we love to have the conversations and a lot i mean honestly i've learned so much in the past like almost two years now from people reaching out to us and saying hey you said this thing but really it should be this or that could be offensive because xyz and that i feel makes me a, a better feminist as i learn more and more of those we things. like to call it being called in not being called out we're being called in most of the time they're very very nice yeah. other there are times it's a little bit more aggressive but um usually people are very very kind and loving and that is the whole point um so we have a facebook business and group page um, we are starting to kind of work on that group page a little bit. We want to get a lot of conversations, grow that community even more. So you guys aren't just talking to us, you're talking to each other and really finding that support that you need in your day-to-day -day lives. We are living in a crazy world right now and all of us need a little bit of love and support, even if it's just through your computer screen. It's incredibly helpful. Um, you can also rate and review us on our Facebook page. We really love rates and reviews on Apple Podcasts. It makes our days. I know you check it like every morning. Not anymore. Okay. But uh, yeah. I usually Frequently. check it like when we're recording. Once a week. I'll be like, yeah. oh yeah. Um, and then also there is a really wonderful app called Radio Public. You can sign up for free and download it on your phone or your tablet or your computer. It's a free way for you to listen to us, but it, we do get a little bit of the benefit from that, but it is completely free to everyone else. And if I didn't say that, my mom would be very mad at me for not mentioning it, which she is often. So, you guys. Also, yes. if you are here tonight, 
Ariel at the Swallows Flight, she made us a wonderful tea blend. Yes. Um, it is delicious. I'm drinking it right now. Go get you one. Um, Go get you one. Yeah, it is wonderful. And we also want to thank Ariel and also Flowers Magic Meditation for allowing us to do this and be here tonight. Yes, this is the cutest little room. It's wonderful. I would love to have this be our recording setup. For those of you who don't know, we record in a closet that is about this wide and very long and we sit over a little table and stare at each other and in the summers it's ungodly hot and the winters it's incredibly cold but we love what we do we love creating this kind of content so we do it anyways so we are all done with you guys tonight with all that being said we encourage you to, to rage, rage on, on. bye, bye. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.